For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. In previous shows, we've talked about the dangers of race-based affirmative action in higher education. It's a zero-sum game. Um, If there are benefits given to some people on the basis of race, then there'll be some uh, discrimination against other people based on race. That's at the core of the lawsuit against Harvard, an institution I taught at for 50 years and saw this in in operation um, uh, when when, uh, affirmative action was uh, introduced based on race at Harvard uh, and for the next half century, basically, uh, the number of Asian students um, uh, declined precipitously based on comparable scores and comparable other uh, other measures. There's the famous uh, uh, donut exchange at Harvard that illustrated that um, uh, when Harvard really started aggressively to uh, use race-based affirmative action in favor of African-Americans, the number of African-American students who were admitted went from the single numbers up to 13, 14%. At the same time, the number of Jewish students went down by about the same number. And so a number of us uh, on the faculty went to see the Dean of Admissions, his name was Chase Peterson. Um, And uh, we said to him, look, we're we're not objecting to more African-Americans being admitted to Harvard. That's that's probably a good thing. But the quota for African-Americans should not be taken from the quota for Jews. And I use the word quota uh, advisedly. There are quotas, they call them targets, but they're quotas. If the number of African-Americans ever drop below 10%, uh, there'd be demonstrations and uh, and worse. So uh, there are quotas. But so there was an objection. Oh, don't take the number of uh, African-Americans from Jewish students, you know, spread it across the universe. Uh, take some from, uh, you know, Brahmins, uh, some from uh, others, whites, uh, but um, don't limit it to Jews. And so the dean of admissions, Chase Peterson, I was at this meeting um, very solemnly said, no, 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 we're not in any way discriminating against Jews. Well, of course, Harvard did for many years overtly discriminate against Jews, as did Yale, even worse in Princeton. Um, but we're not discriminating against Jews. You have to understand, we admit our students based on quadrants, based on geographic distribution. So we will take a certain number of students from the Midwest, a certain number of students from the West, from the South, from New England, from the Northeast, etc. And, and, and what we're doing is instead of uh, taking the students uh, from the suburban areas around the cities, like you know, Shaker Heights around Cleveland or uh, places around Detroit, uh, New Rochelle around New York, uh, uh, places like that, we're, we're, we're taking them from the inner city. Um, and, and therefore, the effect is that we're taking fewer people from what you might call the donuts around the inner cities. And one of the professors, I wish it was me, said, Dean, they're not donuts. They're bagels. You're taking it from areas 
that are heavily populated by Jews. And that was the fact. And in the following couple of years, actually, the number of Jewish students who were admitted went up. Um, and so you have race-based affirmative action, which plainly um, being a zero-sum game, there's only a certain number of students who get admitted. By the way, that's wrong too. When Harvard decided to take 13% African-Americans um, more than they had taken in the past, they should have simply expanded the class. And then everybody would have had to uh, endure the uh, consequences of, of that uh, in equal measure. Um, instead of having 2,000 students, you know, have 2,200 students. They didn't do that. So they took the quota of black students and reduced the number of other students that would be admitted. And that, that's the core of the lawsuit that's pending now. Well, now we're seeing a movement toward race-based affirmative action in criminal justice. Yeah, you heard me right. In criminal justice. Uh, it started in Canada, as many of these things do. Um, I'll read you from an article that was in the free press the other day from a Canadian. Um, the article was very disturbing. Um, it was essentially entitled, um, Is Justice Still Blind in Canada? And the clear answer was no. Um, uh, Canada decided that, um, that they had to solve the problem. They had to combat, quote, the over-representation over of minority inmates. Over-representation. In other words, the goal is to make sure that the number of minority inmates replicates the number of minority people in the population. So if Blacks are 15% in the population, you want to make sure that they are adequately and no greater than adequately represented in the prison population. So you want to make sure that the prison population is limited to 15%. How absurd can that possibly be? You have to first ask yourself, what percentage of crimes are being committed by minority people? You can then ask, what's the cause of the crimes? Maybe it's poverty, maybe it's racial discrimination, but you can't jump to the conclusion that minority people are overrepresented. First of all, the whole concept of representation. Prisons are not supposed to represent the population. You know, maybe the House of Representatives is or uh, some other institutions in government, but prisons are supposed to represent the people who are guilty of crimes. And if the people who are guilty of crimes are disproportionately of one group, you know, I have in my library a book published in 1880 called The Criminals of New York. And it had a list and a picture of every criminal in the city of New York. It was a small, you know, relatively small city at the time. The books, you know, got this thick. The vast majority of people in that book as criminal were Jews, uh, Irish Americans, and Italian Americans. Um, and, and, and that's because they were immigrants. And immigrants, particularly immigrants like my grandfather and others, who come to America first without wives and children, men alone can be very dangerous. And so when you get immigrant populations of all men coming to a city like New York, whether they be Irish Americans, Greek Americans, Italian Americans, Jewish Americans, you're gonna see a higher representation of them among the criminal population than you will among well-established 
family wasps or family uh, other forms of, of, of Protestants. Um, that's just in, inevitable. And, and, and so you don't want your prison population to reflect your general uh, uh, population. That's not a goal. Uh, it's, not, it's not possible. And, and, and so in Canada, in order to achieve this goal, to, quote, combat the overrepresentation of minority inmates, judges have been explicitly advised that they must consider race when meeting out justice. Exactly the opposite of what we would hope judges would do. Again, the Bible don't recognize faces, don't recognize races. Canada says, recognize faces, recognize races. Look to see if the person is black, that person automatically, automatically gets a reduced sentence. No matter what the crime is, automatically gets a reduced sentence just because they're black. They could be black and privileged. They can be black and they didn't have any parents or family who were slaves. They could be black and, and be, you know, multiple murderers. But if you're black, you're privileged when it comes to criminal sentencing. Who are the victims of that? Who do you think the victims of that are? No, no, no. Don't, don't tell me the victims are only white people who will get comparatively longer sentences. No, the major victims of reducing criminal sentences for black people just because they're black, the major victims are black people. Why? Because the vast majority of crime committed by black people are committed against black people. Black on black crime is far more frequent than black on white crime and white on black crime. Uh, and so if you let criminals, guilty criminals, we're not talking about innocent people here. We're talking about guilty criminals. We're talking about people who are being sentenced. We're not talking about challenging the conviction. That, of course, ought to be done. I do that. That's my job. But once they're convicted and once everybody knows they're guilty, if you reduce the sentences by 25% just because you're black, you're going to increase the number of black victims of black criminals. And, and the victims, again, will be the poorest inner city blacks. You know, it's virtue. We feel good. Oh, we're going to reduce the sentence for black people as reparations, as reparations for the past harms we've done. And believe me, we've done horrible, horrible things to African-American people and African-Canadian uh, people over the years. But the way to compensate for that is not to let vicious criminals who are going to be recidivists out earlier in order to recidivate against other black people. It just makes no sense. Again, it's virtue chest beating. Oh, we're virtuous people. We have lower sentences for black people and for white people. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And we're seeing the same mindset now in California, uh, which passed a statute called the Racial Justice Act, which enables anyone convicted of a crime to challenge that conviction on the grounds of racial bias. I have no problem with that. It was designed, however, to help African Americans. But it also contains a provision in the statute that says race may not be considered in sentencing. So now you have a contradiction. Canada, which is trying to help African-American people, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Canada, who's trying to help black people, is saying, you must consider race. 
California trying to help black people is saying, you may not consider race. And the answer, of course, is that the message that's being sent both in California and in Canada is you can consider race only to reduce sentences, but you can't consider race to increase sentences, right? At, at a superficial level, that makes some sense. Of course, the lower the sentence, the more likely the person will be freed earlier. And if the person is a predator, if the person is a recidivist, it means that there's no free lunch, that reducing the sentence on black people just because they're black is going to increase the victimization of black people just because they're black. And you're just taking it out on innocent black people. You're benefiting guilty black people at the expense of innocent black people. You're preferring perpetrators to victims. And, you know, again, the whole trend in our society today is benefit the victim, victims' rights, don't care as much about the perpetrators, except if they're black. Again, I go back to the point I made the other day, which got a lot of letters, some negative, and that is if the race, race um, perceptions were, were realities were different in the Marine case on the subway, if it had been a, uh, a black uh, man who had attacked and put a, his arm around the throat and, and resulting in the death of a white person, the dynamics would be completely different. People deny it. No, 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 it would be the same. No, it would be completely different. You wouldn't have AOC getting up there calling for murder. You wouldn't have many of the other kind of race baiters who are out there who only get involved in the case. If So uh, race is a reality. Race matters. Uh, black lives matter. Yeah, they do. And race matters. And the question really is, how should it be used? Should there be reparations? Should people who live in San Francisco now, in other parts of California, be given, the California statute provides for millions of dollars to be given to presumably some wealthy, privileged black people just because they're black without regard to whether their great-great-grandparents came from the Caribbean, or were slaves, weren't slaves, are from Africa, came from Africa 20 years ago. It's just race. We're going to give you money if you're black. Um, how are we ever, ever going to get back to Martin Luther King's dream? Uh, we're moving away from it. We're moving in exactly the wrong direction. And even if you can justify criminal, uh, if you can justify race-based affirmative action in universities, I cannot do that. But even if you could justify race-based affirmative action in universities, you cannot justify it in criminal sentencing. You do take into account the fact that, you know, blacks are discriminating against, that you're more likely to be arrested for equivalent crimes. There was a, a, a study that was done some years ago, I think by the ACLU. I'm not positive about that. Uh, they had uh, drivers and they were all, you know, arranged. It was an experiment. Uh, same car, uh, same speed, same roads, half black, half white. And um, the number of people stopped in the same situation who were driving while black was greater than the number of people. So, And we ought to take that into account. And we ought to make sure that law enforcement doesn't discriminate. But we don't want the opposite to happen. We don't want suddenly to say, all right, if you're black, you can go 75 miles an hour. But if you're white, you can only go 55 miles an hour. That's to make up for the fact that so many other in the past 
black people have been stopped and arrested when they were going within the speed limit or only slightly over the speed limit. We have to be sensible about the, what the remedies are, and they have to be designed to, to make sense. I mean, if you take this to its logical conclusion, no Jew could ever be prosecuted for any crime in Germany for the rest of history. What Germany did to the Jews uh, was so horrible, so inexcusable, for so many, uh, so many millions of people were killed that no Jew can, we have to have reparations. No Jew can ever be prosecuted under German law, even if they're murderers, even if they murder other Jews. The vast majority of Jews living in Germany are Russians. Uh, they had nothing to do with uh, what Germany did. Many of them lived in, uh, you know, Moscow, which wasn't affected by the Holocaust directly. Um, obviously, Ukraine was and, and, and Western Russia was. But uh, Moscow and Leningrad, uh, not so much. Um, nobody would dream of doing that. Yeah, reparations were paid to survivors of the Holocaust. And for those who couldn't be paid when Israel was first established, a fund was created by Germany to give reparations to the Jewish people. This is five years after the Holocaust. The people were still living in Israel. Some of them you know, couldn't be identified as particular survivors of the Holocaust. That makes some sense. But the idea of saying, well, you know, 160 years ago, your great, great, great grandfather was a slave. Therefore, we're going to give you money or worse. Your great, great, great grandfather wasn't even in America at the time. He was living in Africa, but shares racial characteristics with people who were slaves. So we're going to give you money. No, that doesn't make sense. But it makes a lot more sense than reducing sentences for all black people or all people of minority background just because of that background without regard. This article that appeared in the Free Press documents case after case of how it worked uh, and how it worked backwards and how it hurt people and didn't help people and how it increased kind of racial concerns rather than, rather than eliminate them. Look, we have to confront the issue directly of race in criminal justice. Uh, yes, there are many, many more proportionally African-American people in prison than their population represents. But that's because there are many, many more black people who have been convicted of serious crimes. Now, you have to ask the question whether their convictions were unjust, whether racial animus today played a role in that. I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor of looking into that. I'm even in favor of creating a presumption that if you're black and you can make an argument that your sentence was disproportionate or you were convicted on the basis of evidence that wouldn't have convicted somebody who was white, I'm prepared to say that the history of discrimination against blacks in criminal justice system creates a different presumption. Okay, a rebuttable presumption, but I can't go any further than that. And I certainly would not favor a wholesale reduction of all sentences. Again, this article in the free press documents what kind of people got the benefit of these reduced sentences and, 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 and presumably what they did when they benefited from the reduced sentences. Um, you know, if they went out and committed more crimes against other black people, that's not a gain. That's not a net gain for the African-American community. So let's be sensible Let's use common sense. Let's use 
our basic commitment to the rule of law and to the equal protection of the law. And let's keep in mind, let's keep our eyes on the prize. And the prize is equal justice. Do not recognize faces. Do not recognize races. Do not recognize genders. I just came, my wife and I went to a play called Prima Facie. First half of it was quite good. It was written by a British barrister, lawyer, and, and she starts by talking about the job she does, defending people, particularly in sexual assault cases, and then she gets sexually assaulted, and uh, she has a hard time in the play um, because she's questioned about it. And so the end result, essentially, of the play is believe women, eliminate due process, don't have cross-examination, just believe women. Um, that's the end of our Constitution. No, you can't do that. You have to have reforms that make sense. We can't have affirmative action based on being a woman because for many, 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 many years, men did get away with rape. The presumption, the strong thumb elbow of justice was on the side of men who were accused of rape. But since the Me Too movement and even before that, it shifted dramatically. The vast majority of people who are charged with rape today are convicted, plead guilty, or convicted after trial. And there are a great many people who are falsely uh, convicted, and we have to strike an appropriate balance. I know about that. I was one of them who was falsely charged. Fortunately, no prosecutor would ever come after me. The evidence was uh, non-existent. And ultimately, the woman agreed that she may have made a mistake in identifying me, but without due process, how could I have proved my innocence? You need to have due process. You need to have cross-examination, the greatest engine of truth ever devised by human beings. It goes back to the book of Daniel in the Bible. Cross-examination is critically important, and yet this play would essentially abolish it and say, if a woman says it, don't question her. Just believe it. Uh, put the guy in jail. Throw away the key. No, you can't have affirmative action for women. You can't have affirmative action for African-Americans. You can't have affirmative action in Germany for Jews. No, you can't have race-based, gender-based affirmative action. You just can't have it. And you certainly can't have it in the criminal justice system. All right. I know that's going to get a lot of a lot of interesting letters. And I'm curious to see which way they go. Um, we've got a lot of letters uh, today uh, resulting from yesterday's program on the um, the, the Durham report and other things. Okay, here's a few. Hypothetically, by the way, all my letters, I would say 20% of my letters say something like this. We like you. We admire your commitment to civil liberties. How the hell can you vote for Democrats? You, you're such a fool. You're such an idiot. Of course you have to become a Republican. That's a very substantial number of my letters. It reminds me of when um, I saved a kid from death row, a young man from death row, won his case. He wrote me a letter saying, I, I can't believe you haven't converted to Christianity. You know you're going to burn in hell. Uh, and please, I love you. Uh, I don't want you to burn in hell. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. So please, please become a Christian. You know, I, I'm not easy to convert either to Christianity or to becoming a Republican. I don't mean to make an analogy between the two, but here's the question. Hypothetically, let's say if Biden won the election by illegal means, will you still support him? No, of course not. I would oppose him. I would go to court. I would be whoever his opponent was. I'd be on their side. 
I don't believe in illegal means. I've told you the other day I used an analogy. I'm a Red Sox fan, but I did not want the Red Sox to win cases based on stealing signals. Look, I grew up in the age of Bobby Thompson and um, and and uh, Ralph Branca. Uh, uh, it was one of the worst days of my life as a 13-year-old in 1951 when the Dodgers were eight games ahead of the Giants in August. And then on the night before, I think it was Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah, I know because it caused me to doubt the existence of God, uh, Bobby Thompson got up, hit a three-run homer, and the Giants won the pennant. That To this day, there is a theory out there that the Giants stole the signs, that they had a guy in the stands with a telescope who was checking on the catcher's numbers. You know, it's harder to do now because they have radio contact between the catcher and the pitcher. But I don't want to see my team win by cheating. I don't want to see I don't want to see Biden win by cheating. I don't want to see the Red Sox win by cheating. I'm going to watch the Celtics uh, tonight against the Heat. I hope they win, but not by cheating. So I, your question is an easy one. I'm glad you asked it. One letter that just says, you know, remember I said, these are good people, many of them who did bad things. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Of course, that's that's correct. I've been following the great Dershans the 1970s as a teenager in Berkeley, California. I, I was there in 1970 defending uh, Bruce Franklin uh, on behalf of the ACLU. Professor Dershowitz has never wavered in his integrity in all these 50 years. One of my true heroes. Thanks. I appreciate that. Although I don't believe Trump is or was a monster, never forget the warning. Quote, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. But when you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss gazes also unto you. Frederick Nietzsche. I don't normally take my philosophy from Nietzsche, but that is absolutely accurate. Uh, this is a nice letter. Uh, like him or not, Alan Dershowitz is a national treasure who the founding fathers would have applauded as a brave man who stands on principle and integrity, a rare thing these days. Well, I applaud our founding fathers. Uh, an amazing, amazing group of people. Every single one of them deeply flawed. There are no perfect people. Every one of them deeply flawed. Jefferson, unbelievably brilliant, owned slaves, had sexual relationships with one of his slaves, who I think he genuinely was in love with, uh, Sally Hemings, um, Benjamin uh, Franklin, had some nasty things to say about Jews. Uh, George Washington, uh, as close to perfection as you can get among the founding fathers, but his wife owned slaves. He freed them all upon his upon his death. Um, James Madison was was pretty good. Abraham Lincoln was pretty good, but you know he too had some racist views. So there are no perfect heroes. Um, the only thing perfect are perfect circle and perfect fools. Uh, there are no perfect people, and that's what's great about the Old Testament. All the heroes of the Old Testament are imperfect. They all have flaws, much like our founding fathers. And much like politicians today, you know, I never, ever try to vote for a candidate based on perfection. I vote for them on a balance of evils, a balance of good. As a former Democrat, Alan Dershowitz is one of the only Democrats I still respect. Okay, that's, uh, I'm still a Democrat. I've been listening to Get Trump as I drive around. Your book has some real value, but I know that most people with Trump hatred would never read it and would never get past all the mentions of Trump or the title. Uh, it really is too bad that open minds are on decline. Well, as you know, uh, Get Trump um, can't be bought today in in local bookstores, even though it was the number one bestseller in nonfiction 
on um, on Amazon, even though it continues to to do well um, on Amazon and others like that, you can't get it in a local bookstore. Local bookstores don't want to carry a title like Get Trump. So if you support my views on due process in the Constitution, get get Trump, get it through Amazon. That will help make the point. Um, Kind regards from Poland, Mr. Dershowitz. My family is from Poland originally, from about uh, 40 miles from Krakow in Poland and in, in, uh, Galicia. Kind regards from Poland, Mr. Dershowitz. Been watching your show for a very long time now, and I have learned and understood so much about the United States and its laws. And as it is right now, the state of U.S. reminds me of the soup that Polish people call presidential soup which is a soup made out of all the leftover soups that were left and not sold for the week, but it still tastes good enough to eat. And what he's saying is that our presidential candidates are like leftover soup. And there are a lot of people telling me that. I have a lot of people worrying about a Trump-Biden um, rematch. Um, um, people who support Biden, people who support Trump, but would prefer other candidates Sometimes because of their age. I don't like that because I'm like 10 years older than one of my Biden's close to 80. I'm 80, almost close to 85. So I'm five years older than Biden, maybe and probably seven or eight years older than um, than Trump. So it's not age alone, uh, but age is a factor. And, you know, many jobs, you can't get the job above a certain age. There are age discrimination laws, but they don't apply um, um, to to everybody. And um, you know, in many in many states, you have to retire as a judge at age 70. Um, so there are limitations in, I think, 70 as a kid. But uh, that's the law. Um, final, final letter. Professor, listening to you makes me appreciate traditional, classic liberalism, logic, and the rule of law. Well, that's what I am trying to promote classic liberalism, which has nothing to do with the left. Liberalism, classic liberalism is tolerance, due process, equal protection. The difference between classic liberalism and classic conservatism is like this compared to the difference between classic liberalism on the one hand and radical progressive on the other hand. They have nothing in common. Or between classical conservative thinking and the radical hard right they have nothing in common. So the, the theory in this show and the narrative of the show is always going to be classical liberalism, classical conservatism. Let's talk. Let's resolve our differences. And let's remember that we all love an America that is a centrist America. That's a tolerant America. That's an America that listens to all points of view, that compromises, and that does what's best for all the people in this country. See you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every day, we rise 
challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.